0: Zoom zoom, zoom 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 say wow well, come hey ladies and gentlemen we're ready to set the scene you're session. listening to respect we're you open it up uh, uh, say uh, good evening and good afternoon like say, well, welcome in, come welcome in, hey. <laughs> For this project, we've invited UK creatives, journalists and heritage organisations to nominate an individual who's had a big impact on their creative journeys. The individuals nominated for Respect You are people who have inspired and innovated in their field. People who have demanded change and paved the way for generations to come. Their achievements will be showcased in the Museum of Colour, along with portraits by the artists Grace Lee, Erin Say and Naki Na. The Museum of Colour is a digital museum celebrating 250 years of creative achievement by people of colour. In this audio series, you will hear from the nominees themselves.
1: So I'm Judith Jacob, I am an actress, I am also a radio presenter, I've got two shows that I do, one on conscious radio and one on injection radio. I'm a singer, which is a lie, but I like to think of myself as a singer in my bathroom, so yeah.
0: I'm Samanoir Sesher, Director of the Museum of Colour, and you're listening to the voice of the wonderful Judith Jacob, actress, comedian and shower soprano extraordinaire. Judith has starred in some of the UK's biggest TV shows, Angels, EastEnders, No Problem and The Real McCoy. She was part of the Black Theatre Co-op and is a founding member of the BB crew. Um, So what I want to ask you, Judith, first of all, is did you always know you wanted to be an actor?
1: Yes. I always knew I wanted to be an actor, but I didn't know how that was going to be possible. So at primary school... I'd done every single play at primary school and they always gave me the lead part as well. And um, then I went to my secondary school and I was still trying to do any drama stuff that was going on. But there was a girl there called May and she was going to a place called Anna Shea's Drama Theatre. That's what it was called then. And um, I said, oh, I want to go, I want to go. So I went there and that was such a blessing because my mum, my mum and my dad, my dad kept going what black people you see on telly, there's no black people on telly, and <laughs> like, that doesn't mean I can't be on telly, and then there was a series called Julie, which was Dion Carroll, it was American, and she was starring in it, so I was like, look, look, she's on it, I could do this, I could do this, so, yeah, always, always wanted to do it, but had no clue how to make it happen.
0: But you did. And you ended up in Anna Share. And Anna Share is like a, I was describing it as like a feeding space for lots of television and so forth. So that's fantastic. So you got your first TV roles and you got them when you were a teenager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So can you just give me a sense of what the industry was like at that time? I and mean, we have a sense of what your dad said. But what was the experience like for you in television
1: at that time? OK, so a 13-year-old doing something that she's always wanted to do. It was just exciting. And it took me a little while for me to even become aware of any disparity between me as an African descent person and anybody else. I mean, late 20s before the pennies started to drop back things. Then I started to realise what had been happening. I was like, oh, oh, that might have been a thing, But, hey, didn't know it at the time. Now, I want to
0: ask you a question about the way that you present, because I remember seeing you on television and you made an enormous impression on me. And it wasn't just because you were a black woman, but my father was in the hair industry and you were a black woman that didn't have straightened hair or pressed hair or anything like that. Was that a conscious decision that you made or it's just, you know, you
1: ran how you ran? It was, I ran as I ran. It wasn't a conscious, and it's only after a lot of people said that to me. But I did have my younger years of having my mother straighten my hair. And then I went away with the school and I came back and my mother's word is, the back of your hair, nyamot, what happened to the back of your hair? Now, she had convinced herself that somebody had taken a pair of scissors and cut the back of my hair. But of course it wasn't that. I had no clue what you do with your hair when it's like that. So I'm out there. I'm acting like I'm a white girl. And it just died. And I I really did not enjoy that experience. I had decided I'm never putting any other chemical in my hair after that. So that was the reason that I didn't do it. And it didn't even occur to me to want to have my hair like that. Also, I think That was the black power movement that was all happening around the 70s and all that stuff was going on, 70s, early 80s. And in our school, there was like, in my class, there was about three of us and we were really strongly black women, you know, and we would walk around and strut our stuff and we were proud of ourselves as being black women. So I think the era that I came up in empowered me to hold my own naturality.
0: In the early 80s, Judith joined the Black Theatre Co-op, a group of mostly black actors, directors and writers who put on plays that portrayed life in the UK from a black perspective.
1: I was doing Angels and the producers, it was Tony Smith and... um, No, their name's right. Tony Holland and Julia Smith, they are both passed now. And they went to go see a play, which was Welcome Home, Jacko, And it was... Black Theatre Co-op and they came raving about these actors and how amazing they are I said they're my friends they're my friends I go I know them I know them and I was really like oh my god she's they're talking about my friends so when I'd finished Angels was when I joined Black Theatre Co-op so I'd done no theatre up until that time and I had joined on a play and there was an actor and this other actress at the time and we went on stage. Now, she had this whole thing about him not being professional enough. And it was because he was, he turned up to have he done his job, but she felt he wasn't professional enough. And um, we were on our first night on stage. And then she went, I'm not doing this. And then walked off stage. Now, as performers you're like okay you've got to keep this going because the next scene was just me and her now when you're watching something you don't know what to expect so they just thought this was the show so in my head I'm gonna go I'm doing both people's lines I'm gonna do her lines I'm gonna do my lines and I started her lines done my lines and I couldn't remember her lines got myself totally frustrated started crying and walked off the stage now everybody's still thinking this is part of the play (laughs) I'm wondering what the play was now (laughs) what is this oh yeah yeah And then um, they had to tell the audience there's going to be a 15 minute interval that the play's only more or less just begun. There's going to be a 15 minute interval and we'll be back. And so we had a chat and the the actress was told that we, we have to finish the play and you will be recasted. So she came back and finished the play. And that to me was my baptism of fire. I was going, see, this is why I don't do theatre. Because on telly, you do your thing, you do your thing, you do your business. There's none of this dramatic stuff stomping off stage and stuff going on. <laughs> so then I joined Black Theatre Co-op, and then I became part of the company on the board. Because, you know, all the actors were part, were the company, really. But Black Theatre Co-op was young actors, presenting plays that represented us as black British people and not the Caribbean experience because we didn't have that experience we had being born here experience and we were showing that and so audience were coming in so they had packed audiences and um uh, what's his name from, um, from LWT Humphrey Barclays came to see us well us <laughs> not us. came to see Black Theatre Club and said, would you not do a workshop, an eight-week workshop, and come up with something for a sitcom? And we were doing this workshop, and then Shopey, who's now called for me, Chope played Terry, came in one day and said, I've got some names for characters that we should try, and she named everybody, and that was where No Problem came from.
0: No Problem was the first sitcom to be broadcast on Britain's new Channel 4. It followed a family of Jamaican heritage, the Powells, who lived in a council estate in Wielsdon Green. It ran from 1983 to 1985. So it was groundbreaking because it was the first British sitcom, as you said, that focused on a black family. But there was also criticism of the premise because it was about the fact that the parents had left the children and (laughs) gone back to the Caribbean. So looking back on it, how how do you feel about that now?
1: You know, I, I feel no way at all about it it wasn't only that it was Black British, it was devised by us. And that makes a big difference. And we were young people. And we wanted it from a young perspective. So yeah, we had our parents go away, leave us the yard. But we were left in the capable hands of Angel, who was the only sensible family member. So she became the mother of the family, which was Janet Kaye. So even though we had Bellamy living in the garden, Victor, we had Chris Thomas being Toshiba, setting up his pirate station, which was so then, everything was then. The pirate station was very much busy. And we had Malcolm Fredericks, who's no longer in this world with us, but the, the wheeler dealer constantly coming up with an idea. It was It was, I think, the best way to have dealt with it, because if we had parents, it would have changed the dynamics of what we were trying to show. Fantastic. Okay. So perhaps the
0: role that you are best known for was Carmel Roberts and EastEnders. So we have to talk a little bit about that. So that must have been huge for you. I
1: tell you, right, it was, it, it yes, EastEnders is big, but i done Angels, which was the before Soaps was about, but it was the equivalent to a Soap. It was on nine months of a year that it was on. And that was the baptism of fire for me. And I say that because a 17-year-old, literally on the bus today, Nobody gives a damn who I am, as they shouldn't. The very next day, I'm on the same bus going to where my man's workplace was in Warren Street, so I was on a 253, and I very clearly remember me sitting on this bus, looking at the window, reading my book, looking at the window, seeing people staring at me. Then I'm thinking, oh, my God, what have I got on my face? So you're sort of doing this, and I know there must be some bogey somewhere in my nose, that's why people are staring at me. Can't see anything, and then it just got ridiculous. People start staring and staring and staring, and then one person came up to me, go, were you on teddy? I went, "Yeah," and then, and then another, and I went, "Okay, I'm getting off this bus." So I got off, went into a phone box because we didn't have mobile phones. So I went into a red phone box and bored my eyes out, calling my man to say, ah, "All these people are staring at me. I can't go. I'm never gonna get on a bus again." Anyway. Judith, when was the last time you saw somebody on telly on the bar? Say, I've never seen it. Well, that's why they're staring at you. Okay, wipe my eyes. I'm walking to your workplace. So EastEnders was not a ting. And in fact, no problem, no problem, our people, you would I'd done Angels, which was a big ting. When I'd done no problem, it was like I had just arrived. Because our people were warm and loving, and grabbed us up and wanted to take us on heights. That was like I've okay, got you know I've done stuff before, but it was like I hadn't. It was just amazing, no problem. So when I say that, I, I just want to put it in perspective for Eastenders. Yes, Eastenders is a big wheel, and lots of stuff happened, and yes, I got a lot of public recognition and all that. But for me, East Angels was my baptism of fire. No problem was when I was hugged up literally I felt like the community warmed me and hugged me and kissed me and just gave me so much love. So EastEnders was great but it was just a job.
0: When Judith left EastEnders she moved into comedy and in 1991 with Joanne Campbell, Janet Kaye, Suzette Llewellyn, Josephine Melville, Beverly Michaels and Suzanne Packer she co-founded the BB Crew in London the first comedy troupe of black women in the UK.
1: I never thought of myself doing comedy. I thought I was just dramatic actress time. Heartbeat, cry, uh, give me all of that. And um, no problem, made me realise I can if you give me a script. Uh, Same with the real McCoy in a way. But uh, working with the women, it was because... The posse was a group of eight actors had put themselves together. And then Beverly Michaels saw the posse and thought, well, why can't we get women doing the same thing? So she gathered us together, made phone calls. And me and Beth also went to Anna Shears together. And so we, she met, brought in other people. And, and comedy is a great way to get news, serious subjects out and explore stuff. And I didn't even know we had funny bones in us. So you start writing and then you're doing stuff, you work together, and that's the beauty of collaboration. For me, collaboration is one of the best ways to work as long as your ego can step aside. And it took, ooh, years, 10 years for my ego to step aside. But, hey, I'm better now. And <laughs> I love that. I, so, I absolutely love that. No, like you'd write something or you would present something, and I'll go, "Oh no, you need a bit." No, that's not right. You're like, "What do you mean that's not right?" That is very funny. And actually, you don't develop if you don't allow people to criticise you. And just, but at that time, I'm like, "What do you mean, shoulders up in the air? This is really good. This is really good." And then I I, I know I've grown because we as a baby crew are still working, and we came back together and things, and and now. I can have my little strop and they'll go, oh, Libra, she's sulking. And they'll carry on talking. i go, oh, you're just ignoring me. Yeah, when you finish, come back in. And I, or, or I will go, somebody, I'll give an idea and somebody will go um, something else. I'll go, oh, actually, that's not bad. I'm listening. I've started to listen as opposed to just shutting people down. Because if you don't say yes to what I'm saying, you're not right anyway. So,
0: So, okay, I wish people could see this because this is... Quite delightful um so what was really interesting is because you talked about you mentioned the posse and I remember seeing the posse at Theatre Royal Stratford East mm. and I also saw the BB crew now one of the things that was exactly what you were saying is you were able to bring up things that people were talking about you know we were talking about but nobody was really writing about it and things even some things that are now surfacing about the industry and all sorts of things but they came out as jokes in the sketches that you guys did you know it was it was like comedy was a code that uh, that allowed us to talk about things that weren't being raised but what was I think interesting about it was my memory of it yours might be different was that the audience was very it was it was African diaspora people so Caribbean African but it was definitely a black audience Mm -hmm. So that sense of knowing was comfortable with us all, but I don't know if it was always like that. Did you get more varied audiences? We'd we was
1: primarily a black audience, and you're right. Th- th- there's what you call a shortcut. You don't have to draw a whole picture. You just say the thing. You put we put our cardigans on our heads, and the moment we did that, we that. Th- 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 it went mad. The women went crazy in the audience. We were they just like... Because we but all was, knew. Just, honestly. And we just carried on playing our game with our cardigans on our head and flicking our hair because that's what we did. Now, that same sketch we done in Cambridge, and it was it was a white audience. And and it's really weird because when I started in theatre... um. You perform to a black audience and they act like they're watching television. So they start commenting and doing all this thing and you're like, Do they not realise they're watching theatre? And then you go to a white audience and you're like, Oh, they're not enjoying it. So you've got so used to the hubble bubble of a black audience laughing and choking and da-da-da. And then when you've got a white audience and sitting there, you think, Oh, they're not really enjoying this. And then we've done this same sketch show in Cambridge and these women came up to us white women came up to us and went oh my god I can't believe you did that as well these are white women with long hair and they're saying we said what did what you put cardigans on this yeah cardigans tights because we wanted long hair now who knew that see this is the thing where you must stay true to your own culture because when you stay true to your own culture other people recognize themselves in the same thing and I'm literally sitting here with my mouth open. Absolutely. We were like that. We we talk it like still all the time. Imagine that. They also were putting things on their heads. And we thought it was just a black girl thing.
0: Be- I'm pretty sure you guys did it before Whoopi. Be- because, yes. because because Whoopi Goldberg did the thing with the white shirt. It's my hair. And yeah, as, as black girls, we were all like, you know, I used to have ribbons put in mine so I could flick them like, you know. <laughs> yeah the white girl flick that you can't really do with an afro um but yeah, but i had no
1: idea that white women did that absolutely nor did we until we'd done that show and i thought okay okay this is good
0: so moving on then your perspective as an actor and as a comedian that has been in the industry since the 70s and you are still in the industry it's mm-hmm. really interesting to hear that bb crew is still writing together that's exciting what do you see as the changes
1: so when we started the script said black girl black boy there was no name then it changed and they were given a name so we were now a proper character and not just oh we've got a black person like that little character um then we had riots and stuff and so then we were that's henceforth I suppose why people were looking for us Humphrey Barkley. I don't say that's why he did it but the interest in us as African Caribbean people became more so then we started to see a lot more of us on telly and as time went by we had that moment so now we can integrate them so if we've got a black person in a show we don't need a black show so we had a long time of maybe you have a black person this black person, but then there was a drought of black shows on tv for many years and now the circles come back again. George Floyd's death, basically, or murder, has made that black lives matter. And so there's everybody's talking the talk. And so here we go again. But what I don't want is for it to be a moment. This has got to be built on. We've already had our moment in the 80s. What we want is continuity. What we also need are people in the back room the producers, the directors, the ones that commission. Because what we just said about a shortcut, when you see, we just put the hair on and people people knew what it was. When you're talking to, to white people, you've got to break down what you, why it's funny. And even though we can watch a Scottish thing, we can watch all these other stuff, and I don't think they ever have to justify why it's funny. Yeah, somehow we have to justify why it's funny. And there's always a reason why it won't work and this won't work and blah, blah, blah. But we are back again. And so let's hope with all this talk that people are talking, that they're hiring more people, they, they put out bursaries for people to be at the back of the camera, because that's where the power is. We can be at the front, but the power is behind the writers, directors, producers, commissioners and and we are starting to see that happen again, but I've been there when we've done it before, so I want to make sure that it carries on.
0: <laughs> it's interesting you talking about continuity because um, a Little Bird tells me that your daughter is, <laughs> is, is an actor. And, you know, you've, you've been in the industry on every side of it, live, television, comedy, straight drama, as you've said. What advice have you passed on to her and what advice would you give to people
1: who are young, who are starting out in the industry now? The good thing is, is that my daughter Aisha has the reality of the business and not this version that is very sanitized and beautiful. So she knows the reality of the business. What I always tell every actor out there, if you can't take rejection don't do the job because rejection is a big part of this job and it can be really deflating it can make you question your own talent base whether you are i've i've gone i'm a fraud i've had the imposter syndrome after going for 20 jobs You ain't got one of them babe you have to then and it's only like you go for this thing of oh, i'm rubbish and then Some beautiful soul from nowhere is like my ancestors sends them to me to go, oh, you inspired me to do da-da-da-da, and you go, oh, I'm not a fraud. I am, I can, I I can do this stuff. So you really must, must, and rejection ain't easy. So if you know that as my dad dad used to call me, I used to be called an egg because I cried really easily. And he said, you carry on being an egg in your life, people will carry on taking the mickey out of you because they know they will get you every single time. So I had to toughen the shell of an egg that I had going on. And if you can't toughen the shell, really, that to me is the most important bit.
0: Could it be we've come right to the end? So soon, the end, one, the end. turn, the end, y'all. Yo. But you we're shutting it down. Judith Jacob was nominated by the journalist Nadine White. Nadine is the UK's first dedicated race correspondent writing for The Independent. Respect You is presented by me, Sammanwar Sesher, and is produced by Stella Sabin for the Museum of Colour. You can find out more at www.museumofcolour.org.uk. The music you have heard in this series is from Soweto Kinch's prize-winning album, Conversations with the Unseen. Further episodes of this series are available across all podcast platforms. Respect You is supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and the Paul Hamlin Foundation. Thank you for listening.